Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. scriptures together this morning to the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. And we're going to consider an extremely well-known, maybe the most well-known parable of the Savior, and that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want us to take notice, um, beginning with last Sunday, today and for a couple of more Sundays, Lord willing, the parables that Jesus taught that we're going to give thought to focus around, are focused on um, service and some emphasis upon money. Jesus taught concerning every aspect of our lives, including the money that we receive. Um, and last weekend, last Sunday, we spoke to you uh, out of Luke also about uh, Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. How that the rich man fared sumptuously every day, Lazarus, the poor beggar, lay at his gate and suffered continually, apparently uh, unrelieved by the rich man, who could have easily have relieved some of the sufferings of, of Lazarus, but he did not. And he only thought about it when he was in hell and thought then of his family. In Luke chapter 10, we want to begin reading in order to consider the context of the parable of a good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, we'll start reading in verse, actually verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, tested him, put him to the test with this question, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levite, when he was at the the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Well, again, a very familiar parable is before us. So familiar, perhaps, that if we're not careful, we shall lose sight of, of its true meaning. And, and also, if we're not careful, we will think, ah, oh, that's, that's a good story. That's, that's a good parable. But my friends, unless you and I this morning are able to say, what is God saying to me in this parable? Then obviously we will have missed the entire point of it. If it has, it only has meaning as it has meaning to me personally. It only has meaning as it has meaning to you personally. Jesus tells another story about money. When he says about one man that he had a bumper crop and and he was not able to store all of the food that he'd gathered up, so he gets the bright idea that he'll tear down his barns and build bigger barns. That way he'll be able to store more, hoard up more for himself. Jesus said of him, Thou foe, this day your soul will be required of thee. Then whose will those things be? that you have gathered up. There's a there's an important lesson in this parable, obviously about compassion, and that's often the main point of what's made as we consider this parable, and it's there, of course. But as I thought on this parable, I believe there's something a little a little more basic than that. And I think that's probably our greatest challenge as we go through our lives. And that is the challenge of living outside myself. Because you and I, by nature, are selfish people. We have a great tendency to think of ourselves first. Now that's what comes natural to us. That comes naturally. We do not have to make ourselves think about ourselves. It, it is, it is a, a higher plane of living to live outside of oneself and to think of someone besides myself. The rich man and Lazarus, uh, the rich man thought of no one but himself. After his death, he thought about his brothers, but of course it was too late then. He only thought of himself. How many times might he have passed by this poor beggar who lay at his gate, watching him eat the, the, the garbage from his house, and the dogs licking his wounds, and somehow passed by with a callous eye. You know, you and I have never lived in a country, thankfully, where, where beggars are common. As a matter of fact, you may have lived all of your life and never actually seen a beggar. Someone who actually uh, makes whatever living he does by by begging for money. 
But I tell you that it doesn't take long to become callous to that if we're not careful. I remember when we got into India and Africa, um, my, my heart was just touched by the children roaming the streets begging for the first day and the second day. But by the time days had gone by, weeks had gone by, I would sometimes look at these begging children on the street no more than I might consider uh, a dog walking down the street or, or, or another person walking down the street. It's easy to become callous. And it's easy to think that, well, you know, I can't alleviate all of the suffering of the world. And, and you can't. And, and, uh, you know, we'd always tried to keep some money in our pockets to give to these, to these begging children and begging adults for that matter. And the, the, the people there said, that's not the best way to go about this. So we started trying to carry sacks of bread around to give to people because these children would go off and buy some candy. Well, bless their poor hearts, you know, kids are kids everywhere. They might be starving to death, but they'd go spend their last nickel on a, a candy bar. Or a quarter or fifty cents or whatever they cost anymore. Dollar, I guess what I'll say. Well, you think, I can't do, I can't solve all the world's problems. I can't deal with everything that, that's out there. I can't alleviate all the suffering of the world. Well, that's not the point of the parable. Either of the two parables. It is that in the providence of God, God brings into our path, along the way, people who need help. People whom you'd rather not help. They may not be physical beggars lying at your door. In some ways, they would be the easiest of, of all to take consideration of, but it's, it's the person who's hurting. Maybe the person who is habitually or chronically in some sort of need. And our tendency is to think, well, if, you know, if they'd just do such and such, they wouldn't be in this shape. And then there may come a time and a place to where you'd be doing someone a disservice, doing them more harm than good than by continually, habitually uh, abetting their weakness or some self-imposed condition. But that's not usually our problem. Our problem is, here's this person with a need in my path. And our flesh says, I'd rather not fool with this. I'd rather not deal with this. I know there's a need, but probably somebody else can do it better than I. And so Jesus talks about this, this uh, in response to the question, actually the bigger question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what does the, what does the Bible say? And the lawyer said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've got the right answer. That's correct. Anyone who does that will be, will live forever. It is the indication of it. It's not the cause of it, but it's a person who loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loves his neighbor like, like he loves himself, then he would have all the assurance in the world that, that he would be with God in glory when he died. But the lawyer says, well, but who is my neighbor? 
Well, he should have left well enough alone. Because if you think about your neighbor, wow, that's the people that you're around all the time. It's the people who lives next, live next door to you. It's the people you rub shoulders with all the time. They're your neighbors, the people who live in your neighborhood. They're, they are your neighbors. But oh my, Jesus has a different slant on this thing. And he tells the story about this man who was going down to Jerusalem and fell among thieves who who attacked him, beat him half to death, stole, obviously, whatever he possessed, and left him lying alongside the road. A pitiful, a pitiful case. Probably not a terribly uncommon scene for a traveler in those days. You know, in our own day, we've, we've heard of such horrible incidents where, where people are accosted in some sort of public arena. And, and people just stand around and watch and don't do anything. Uh, people who hear the screams and the shouts of those who are being attacked and, and just wouldn't get involved, wouldn't do anything. People even dying of that. And we, we kind of shrink back in horror, but let me tell you, we, we've grown up in America here in, in a really sheltered kind of culture and environment where we're not used to that kind of thing. We don't see that often. Have you ever seen someone lying beside the road, uh, beat up? You've never seen that. I've, I've never seen that. And, and so there's, there's, there's something here to be said about just the exact instance that Jesus gives, but there's something to be said above this because here's here's something that Jesus has done and consider this. Jesus is not just talking about helping someone who's beat up alongside the road. Jesus is talking about going outside yourself and above and beyond yourself to help someone who is in need. And that's the point of the parable. And so it says here that uh, as, as this man lay here, verse 31 says, and by chance there came a certain priest that way. Well, I'd, I'd love to do something with that word chance. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we, don't, we don't usually like the idea of chance and think that in the, with the, sovereign, in the sovereignty of God there's no such thing as chance. And so I'm, I'm happy to report to you that the word does not exactly mean what we think of by the word chance. Um, it is, it is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And the, the, uh, some of the more modern versions really convey the better idea of coincidence, uh, a, a, a co-happening of two things. These two things happen together. They occurred at the same time. Now, of course, that might imply chance. And so the King James writers use the word chance here. But chance to us indicates some matter of just uh, fate, some sort of, it just, it just happened that way. It just, there's no purpose to it. But the word itself is, is that's made the word chance is the putting together of two words, one of which is the word from which we get our word Lord, kurios. This is ordered of the Lord, set by the Lord. This was something that was that was uh, orchestrated, and so the word chance doesn't quite convey the idea of what took place here. This is something that ought to make us consider that 
as our writers have often well said, that nothing in the universe takes place by chance. Everything that takes place is by divine order and by divine purpose. There is purpose for everything in our lives. If we did not know that, if we did not consider that truth, then certainly we would be of all men most miserable when things happen. When I get cancer. When I have uh, troubles of one sort or another. And if I just think, well, it just somehow, by some divine lottery, it fell out this way, then I might be tempted to wonder what, like Edgar Allan Poe did in his morbid poem, The Raven, that God's just up there and he's just run out of, just absolutely run out of something useful to do. So he's going to, he's going to play some ugly tricks on some of his creatures. And of course, his problem was his sweetheart had died. And he couldn't see any reason to his sweetheart dying. And so God's just doing this. Well, um, God has purpose. And sometimes it doesn't look like there's a connection, but listen, I love to, I love to think, and it gives me great joy and blessing in my life to think that there is connection about everything that happens to me. There's some divine connection that God is working this for my good and for His glory, and then I'm able to, I think, have a better response to what goes on around me. Well, the Levite passed by and saw him. He went by on the other way. He got as far away from it as he could. Uh, then a Levite. Well, a priest and a Levite are two very similar things. The Levites... Uh, were all priestly tribes. They weren't all practicing priests. Some of the Levites, their jobs were uh, to to handle and to care for the things about the temple. They may not actually offer the sacrifices. The priests offer the sacrifices. They're they're the ones who, if we, if we were to make a a a connection here and make this a more modern thing, we'd we'd make this preachers and deacons is what we would do here. A preacher passed by and a deacon passed by. That's what the that's what the priests were. The priests were the ones who actually carried out the religious services. The Levites were the ones who supported them. They they carried the tent. They carried the loads. They 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 cleaned up around uh, the the meat and the offerings and all that were taken care of. The priest didn't actually do all of that stuff. He he the priest focused on the actual making and offering of the sacrifices. So so for us preachers and deacons, this this is this is more particularly for us. Because here we preachers and deacons who ought to be the most concerned about human need and suffering, he says they passed by calloused. Oh, they had things to, to do. Maybe the preacher thought, ha, I can't stop. I, I'm, I'm going to go preach a sermon. I'm on my way to preach. I can't stop and help this person. Maybe a deacon would say, you know, I'm I'm on my way to uh, prepare the Lord's Supper, and, and if I don't get there on time, well, it won't work. I, can't, I ain't got time to do this. Now, Jesus could have picked anybody else, almost, and made his point. He, he could have just been a common, ordinary Jew, a common, ordinary man. But no, Jesus had to pick someone whom was absolutely, unpredictably concerned about this probably Jewish man. And he was a Samaritan. Well, we won't belabor the point of Samaritans. You know, you know who the Samaritans were. 
they were the half-breed Jews who lived in Samaria. And, and uh, for the most part, the Jews had little, if any, dealings with them. And the Samaritans hated the Jews just as much as the Jews hated the Samaritans. This, this uh, ethnic uh, rivalry went both ways. They, they, they despised each other. Remember the, the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan, and she was absolutely shocked that Jesus would stop and say anything to her. Not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan, and she was utterly shocked that this Jew would take time to talk to her. Well, here's this Samaritan. Josephus said of the Samaritans, Josephus was a first century Jew who gave a detailed account of what all went on in Israel in the first century. Of course, he had no love lost for the Samaritans. He said, those Samaritans, if they see somebody going down to Jerusalem, going on their way to Jerusalem, they'll, they'll rob them and beat them up. And that's why, that's why that, you know, you had, you had Judea, then you had Samaria, then you had Galilee, then over here you had Perea. So on these three sides of Samaria were places that were dominated by Jews. So if a Jew wanted to go from Judea to Galilee, he would circumvent, he would go around Samaria and go through Perea and up into Galilee and vice versa. That would keep them from having to go through Samaria. That's how much they, they just wouldn't even want to go through the area that was inhabited by Samaritans. And Samaritans, of course, they had no reason to go down to Jerusalem. The Samaritan woman said, you Jews say you ought to worship at Jerusalem, but we say here on Mount Gerizim is where men ought to worship. And so, you remember, she tried to engage Jesus in this religious argument. Well, a Samaritan of all people. A Samaritan of all people. Why would a Samaritan stop and help this man? A total stranger. This man who was a different ethnic group from himself. They were racially, of course, very much the same. They were religiously very similar. Why would he do that? For one point, Jesus is making, and he's making it clearly by calling this man a Samaritan, and that is this. God has brought this man with a need into my path. He is therefore your neighbor. And you cannot fulfill the divine command of thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and thy neighbor as thyself, if we turn a deaf ear and eye to the needs of those who are brought into our path. Now, there is a very special application for us here in, at Ripley Church inasmuch as God has in His providence brought us into contact with people who have desperate needs. Not just not just minor needs, desperate needs. We're talking about the needs of food and clothing and shelter. God has, as it were, laid them at our door, just like the rich man in Lazarus. And I do not preach this sermon because I feel like that you are falling short or, or you have been niggardly in any way. I only preach this because we must always keep this before us or we'll think sometime along the way that, that we have done our duty in that we have just done something initially. Now, think about the parable. 
Okay, here he comes. The Samaritan comes. He finds the man lying alongside the road, beat up, half dead, and and he ministers to him. He he pours wine on his wounds. That's an antiseptic. He pours oil on his wounds. That's the mollification. A Anyway, it makes him feel better. Whatever the word is. And no doubt the man kind of revived and came to because he set him on his donkey. He didn't lay him across his donkey. He he was able to kind of revive him. Now, he could have very easily have said, all right, uh, fella, you know, uh, man, I really hate what's happened to you here, and uh, I'm glad you're awake and, and doing better, so... Uh, so I've, I've got to be on my way. We'll we'll see you later. Well, we would have admired him for that, would we not? The Levite didn't so much as stop. The priest crossed by on the other side. The Levite, at least, I'll say this for the deacon, that he at least went over and looked at him before he passed by. The, the, the priest got on the other side of the road. He saw it over there and he got as far away from it as possible. The Levite at least went up to him and looked and saw I ain't got time to fool with this. Well, the Levite stopped and, and, and administered first aid. Poured on the wine. Poured on the oil. Did something for him. We, who would, who would admire him? Indeed. Who would have, uh, who would have, uh, charged him with, with, uh, thoughtlessness if he had just revived him and, and then hoped, well, probably, maybe if he's not in such bad shape, one of his own countrymen will come by and give him some aid. No, there's something else in this parable here. He sets him on his own donkey, and he carries him to the nearest inn, and and sees to it that he's put to bed, that he's cared for, and not only that, he goes to the innkeeper. He 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 doesn't know who this man is. He goes to the innkeeper and he gives him two pence, and said, "Now if this isn't enough to take care of him till he's well enough to be on his way, then on my way back through." You keep an account, I'll pay you. Now, two pence here is one pence is a day's wage. Two pence is obviously two days' wages. Well, different people make different wages. So whatever it is you make in a day, let's say say you make $10 an hour. In an eight-hour day, you're going to make $80. It'd be $160. You, you willing to part with two days of your wages. To, to help this total stranger because it was just the right thing to do. If you make $20 an hour, that's, that's, uh, times, times eight, that's 160. Double that's 320, that's $320. That's, that's no mean amount of money. A day's wage, whatever that is. Two days wages he, he gave to the man. Now, Jesus is telling us something here, I believe, that's awfully important. You know what you and I do, and it's well. It's well that we do. It's commendable. I, I praise God for it. There are a lot of people who won't even do that much. Um, I saw Abigail coming in uh, Wednesday night, and she had these little envelopes that she was giving out to people who supported the the, uh, the orphans in, in India. And and I was thankful to see that there were a number of them that she, she handed out. And that's good. That is good. Here Here are these children in India that God has brought into our path that that uh, he's laid them at our door, as it were, by chance, in this biblical sense of the word, this, this, these children have been put in our way, and you have helped them. And I say to you, God bless you. 
it is it is an altogether commendable thing to do. To go somehow outside yourself. And to think about someone over whom you have had no personal interest. Just like the, the beggar laid it, uh, at the rich man's door. Just like uh, the, the uh, man who had been beaten and left for, for dead along the way on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho to Jerusalem. And the Samaritan came by and helped him. It's, it's a similar thing. But I want you to notice something. It didn't just end with this help. He went absolutely to, to the farthest extremes of his abilities to help this man. Now, there must be some kind of a personal application to this for you and me. Or, or we'll miss the point of this parable. I said last weekend, and I believe it is so, that what a person does with his money is probably a pretty fair indication of where he is in his heart. A person who who is selfish, self-centered with his money, that is, he, he was not faithful to give to the church, he is not faithful to, to relieve the afflictions of, of, of those who have less than we do. A person whose heart is, is dull towards those things is a sad person indeed. Well, Jesus said, and lifting up his eyes from hell, he beheld. It would not be an indication of a very good state of being for a person to, to spend all of his money on himself. To use all of his money for himself. For him to say, well, I've got debts to pay. I've got this to do. I've got that. I don't have money for the, for, for, for the church. I don't have money for to help orphans in, in India. And I, you know, I can't help all the orphans in India. But you know, the thing that blessed me about the whole thing with, with India is this. There are thousands, yea, tens of thousands of orphans roaming the streets in India. And I know I can't alleviate the suffering of all of those orphans. In Africa, the same way. I, I know I can't do that. But you know what I can do? And see, that's what the Samaritan did. He did what he could do. And he did not just do minimally what he could do. He did to the maximum what he could do. What I can do is I can help one of them. I can help one human being on the other side of the planet have a chance, as we say, at life. Rather than grow up on the streets of those third world countries and, and, and the, the whole cycle of sin and poverty continuing, one in five black Africans is HIV positive, and those children growing up on the streets there in black Africa are, are absolutely destined by human, by human observation to do nothing but repeat the cycle. And if, and if God is not pleased somehow for that cycle to be broken, then of course black Africa and all the world knows it is in for a, a plague of horrendous proportions. Millions of them are dying every day and are going to die in the next 10 to 15 years. And, and, and worse than that is that the children 
who are orphaned by that are going to fall right into the same pattern of moral uh, uh, degradation. And then they will be in the same boat. Now, this man could have said, you know, I've seen lots of beggars and I'll, or he, I, I can't get involved. He might do like the preacher and the deacon did. He might say, and we would think, we would not think ill of him, really. If he says, you know, I want to give him first aid, but then I've got, I've got to hit the road. I've got to be on my way. No, he goes absolutely the extra mile. And he does everything in his power, including spending his time, his energy, overcoming his own prejudices, and his money, spending his money to help a total stranger in Jesus that he's your neighbor. Now, that must be an application to that for us, or else we'll pass by this as just a, a sweet little story that Jesus told <clears throat> now, my brain's kind of working on some things, and and uh, as you know, that's always a big challenge. Um, but I want to do something significant for our brethren in Africa, particularly. That's that's where my burden is most most uh, prominently, and. There are people there who want to help those children get off the streets. They want to do that. They just don't have the means to. The Samaritan had the means to to do all the things that he did. And, and let me tell you, our African brethren, our brethren in India, they are, according to their means, they are doing a lot. But they just don't have the means. Now, I want to tell you what I'm thinking about. Now, I hadn't even preached this parable yet, but I'm going to preach it. Maybe next Sunday I threatened to preach it today, but I decided not to. I alluded to it last week. I'm going to allude to it today. The parable is is uh, the one that right precedes the, uh, the parable of Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus, and it's the story about the the steward who who. Uh, had not been doing a very good job, and and his master found out about it and called him on the carpet and threatened to fire him. And he was really in a dither because he didn't know what to do. He says, "I'm too old to work. I can't I can't go out there and work for a living. I'm too old to dig. I'm I can't do I can't dig. Um, I'm too proud to beg. What am I going to do? Well, what he does is he calls in all of his master's debtors." And he says, how much do you owe? Well, I owe a hundred, whatever it was, gallons of oil and some corn. He said, all right, take your bill here quickly. Write 80. And now this guy was getting the bargain. He owed a hundred, but he only had to pay 80. And then the next guy, how many bushels of corn do you owe? Well, I owe a hundred. Well, okay, do 50. Pay 50 right now. So he paid 50. And I've always been amazed that the master said, said, uh, well done. You did, you did a good job. I commend you for what you did. What? He, he commended him for not getting all that he was owed? Well, I guess he thought that he did a good job getting something. You know, somebody owes you $100, sometimes you think, that I'll never see a penny of that. And if you actually got 80 of it, you'd be glad. Well, that's kind of the sense of that. 
But the point of the parable is always what's tricked me. Jesus said, now, the point of the parable is this, he said. Make unto yourselves friends of the unrighteous mammon. So that when trouble comes, they will receive you into everlasting habitations. In other words, they will be able to give you some significant help. Make friends of the unrighteous mammon. Because they'll really be able to help you when trouble comes. Now that's, that's the parable. And it, I don't know, it almost seems uncharacteristic. And that's why I've kind of struggled with an application until something happened about three months ago that got me thinking about this whole issue. Now don't anybody get alarmed. I'm, I'm not, I'm not pushing this. I'm just, I'm just going to present it to you. You think about it, okay? That's all I'm asking you to do, is just think about it. Don't, I, I, a few years ago, if someone had done what I'm about to do, I would have, I would have, but anyway, here it is. I got an invitation from President Bush to attend a conference on this faith-based initiative that he's doing. And what President Bush is trying to do, and you've heard about it in the press, and, and uh, you know, you have to kind of think maybe there's there's something good about it because the liberals hate it with a purple passion. And President Bush's thing is, you know, we spend billions of dollars a year doing certain kinds of things that the government does, which most of us think government ought not to be doing in the first place. But um, I always had this... this uh, this healthy discussion with Brother Bob Hornsma, the only thing he and I ever differed, differed on that I know of. And, and, uh, he, he was real adamant about what all government was supposed to do and not supposed to do. And, and I, I'd say, now, Brother Bob, Jesus says to obey the government that is, not the one that you wish was, or you think ought to be, just the one that is. Well, I didn't, I didn't just have him there, believe me. You remember Brother Bob. You never had Brother Bob. He, he always had something to come back with. All right, here's what. Here's what. I'm, I, so I went to the conference in Memphis. And what they want to do, they want to give people money. The government, the federal government, wants to give churches money to help them do benevolent things. And uh, we're talking lots of money. The kind of money that you and I couldn't even possibly think about coming up with. We just, it'd just be totally outside of our possibilities. And President Bush's thing is, why should the federal government spend all this money and put it into the hands of bureaucrats who are going to blow it and mess it up when we put it into the hands of people that we know are going to actually do with it what ought to be done with it? So, I went to the conference. I won't tell you what I thought. I won't tell you. I won't have to confess. You know what my first thought was? My first thought was after I heard all the presentation and all the stuff that you couldn't do and said you can't buy religious literature and build churches, you gotta, you know, you can build orphanages and that. And what caught my mind was the AIDS thing. You know, that's the big thing. And alleviate the, the suffering of AIDS in Africa or wherever. And so they clearly understood that to take the, the children off the streets in Africa is going to be our best chance at breaking the cycle of AIDS in Africa. And since we're kind of involved in that, and our brethren in Nairobi want to do this, they, they want to, to have an orphanage there. They want to take these people off the street, much like Brother Guna has done. Well, 
we could we could come up with and we could do better than than we've done. We could, and and we're going to talk about that. But um, you know what? My confession. Back to my confession. You know, what my first thought was my first thought was, oh mercy! Look at the paperwork. This mountain of paperwork that somebody had to do, and I know who the somebody is. And I stopped and I thought, listen now, I don't care how wicked my own heart is. I thought, eh, you know, you're the pastor, and you ain't got time to fool with all that mess. And and, uh, and besides that, the government aren't even supposed to be doing this anyway. And, and what I'm doing, I'm talking myself out of doing the most uh, the most that I could do. I'm talking myself out of it. And when I thought about this parable, I saw myself. I saw myself see the need and say, ah, I'm not, I don't know if I'm willing to do what needs to be done to do that. And pass by. Just because the paperwork is, is momentous. And I'd probably have to, I don't have any great resources, but I'd probably have to call some congressmen and try to, you know, you got, that's how you get things done these days. You gotta wheedle and beg and, and, uh, of course, see, I'm kin to Roger Wicker. Y'all didn't know that, did you? His, my son-in-law's cousin is Roger Wicker's wife's cousin. <laughs> So I don't see Roger Wicker very often, but when I do, he he calls me cuz, you know, because we've got this really distant connection. But, uh, you know, I've called on Roger Wicker a time or two. Back when we were trying to get some funding for this chromosome 18 thing, he's on the, he was the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, and I called him and, and asked him, you know, is there anything you could do to help this organization get this funding? The grants, out, you know, I hate to tell you, that's how things get done. No, well, I didn't want to do all of that. Uh, and, and besides that, I thought, I know there'll be people in the church that don't want to do that. And you know, it's fine if you don't. If, if you, <laughs> see, I'm letting myself off the hook. If somebody just says valiantly enough, forcefully enough, strongly enough, look, Brother Mike, I, government's not supposed to be doing this, and all we're doing is fomenting government's bad spending habits if we do this, and, and I come back and I say, well, they're going to spend it on somebody. Somebody's going to get that money. It's, it's, you know, yeah, but that's what's wrong as the system. You know, really, I, I think there's something to those arguments. I don't poo-poo those things. There's, there's something there. And I thought, ah, do I want to expend the energies to try to talk folks into this? And if I ever got folks all talked into it, do I want to spend the energy that I know it would take to actually go through the whole mess and do it? And then finally, in the, in the final analysis, you know, might not get it. Let me tell you something. When I walked into that, they had this thing at the Cook Convention Center in Memphis. And when I walked into that huge room and I saw 2,000 people there, that's just in Memphis. They're holding, holding these things all over the country. I thought, mercy, what am I among so many? Well, I, all, I, I'm just, I'm not trying to talk you into this, really. Well, maybe sort of, but I, I just want you to think about it. I'm not asking you to do anything. We're not asking to vote on anything. As a matter of fact, I've kind of thought that that uh, if if President Bush were to lose this election this this year, almost 
then that would mean, of course, a Democrat would be in the office. And if he was there, that'd be the end of this whole thing. And I thought, what if I spent a year and time and energy and effort on this, and President Bush gets gets defeated, and, and there's a Democrat in there, and, and the whole thing just goes down the drain. So I thought, well, wait till after the election next year, I'll give you four years to do it. Well, you, do, do you see, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm confessing to you how much like the priest and the Levite that I am sometimes, that I could do something for people who cannot do for themselves. And that's what we have right here. Someone who can do, doing for someone who can't. Not somebody who won't, somebody who can't. And, and I thought, well, you know, if, if, if we were ever able to actually get one of these grants, then the money that we do, which is, would be small in comparison, then we would use the money that our, our more meager resources to, to, uh, you know, to do the spiritual things, to buy the materials, build the churches, uh, help support the preachers, do the things you couldn't do with this money. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm not telling you that I've got all this right and, and, and this is the way it ought to be. In a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there for you. This is just some thoughts that I've had, some possibilities, and I just wanted you to think about it. I wanted you to be aware of this. I've mentioned it to two or three just to kind of, kind of get a little feel for what, how they feel. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21, he that despises his neighbor sins. Despise means to disregard them, their need. But he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Now, whether or not we ever actually do this faith-based initiative deal, that's, that's kind of, in a way, beside the point. The, the point is that, that you and I, personally, must be involved. See, the Good Samaritan's not talking about the government. Maybe the parable about the the unfaithful steward. Maybe, maybe that's about government. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Find somebody rich that's got lots of money. Make friends with them. And so that when you have needs, they'll, they'll meet your needs. That's the point of the parable. And, and, uh, the only rich uncle I got is Uncle Sam. Of course, he's borrowing it. And you're paying ridiculous taxes. Anyway, well, we, we don't want to go into all that. But for you and me, the Good Samaritan's not about government. It's about me. It's about you. And so, and so I, I want to ask this church to, to stretch this next year. I'm going to ask you to stretch. I want to ask you to stretch yourselves. You can't go over there and hand out a piece of bread. You can go. But what you and I can do is do what the Good Samaritan did. Go way, way above and beyond the call of duty to help someone who cannot help themselves. And Jesus said, do this and you will live. He says, go thou, go and do thou likewise. And there's something fundamentally basic to Christianity about people living outside of themselves. Thinking outside of themselves. There's something that is fundamentally identifying of a Christian of doing that. And that's the point of this parable. And may God bless us.
to know that point. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word that deals with every stripe and every possible uh, situation that might arise in our lives. Lord, there's nothing that falls outside the pale of Scripture. And Lord, You know how prone I am and I'll confess it for this church if the shoe fits they can wear it. If not, they don't have to. Lord, how prone I am that my first thought is what is something going to cost me in time, in energy, in money. And it is not as it ought to be. Here's an opportunity to help my neighbor. Lord, forgive me for thinking that. Lord, forgive me for not wanting to even mention this business of the faith-based thing the church because I was worried about how much work it was going to be for me. Not to mention all of the other things, Lord, that are true and proper considerations about the role of government. Lord, if there's anything to that at all, I pray that you'd give us the strength and wisdom to do it. If not, the, the wisdom and the good sense to drop it. But Lord, whether we do or drop that, there's still this parable here that's before us. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us to give more thought to others than we do to ourselves. Help us, Lord, because we confess that we are so prone to do just that. We ask, Father, for your strength your wisdom, your help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.